Ready. Hey, welcome to another episode of HR Nightmares, uh, sponsored by Leith HR Group. And we're basically trying to give people realistic HR advice and really hoping to avoid HR nightmares versus like dwelling on all the HR nightmares people are dealing with. We love stories. We love um, inserting a little bit of humor. And we absolutely love our guests. So today, Amy Conway and myself Hello. are met with by Wayne Hippo, who is the managing partner of PS Solutions. He's also a friend of mine, um, and we uh, we run Work Talk together, which is the HR app for connecting employees and their supervisors um, uh, via mobile device. And so, super happy to have you here. We've we are repping the Big Ten. <laughs> yes, we are. Oh, are we? Yeah. Wait, what we Big are. Ten are you? Well, Penn the State. leader of the Big Ten. Uh, the leader. Wait, I don't know that we're <laughs> repping. We have two representatives, so you guys are both Penn State. But you're Indiana. I know. Yeah, yeah. so you're good. Well, I thought we had three in here, but you no, are, no. I feel ganged up on now. Yeah, we're here to have an intervention <laughs> yeah, to make you yeah. go back for a master's yeah. <laughs> through the Penn State World Campus. Um, no, I think today we'd love to talk about everything from like uh, why it's so important to hire people in the United States in the industry <laughs> that you work in um, and all the benefits that go along with that, not to mention just like basically jobs for Americans is nice. Um, but are you struggling with that and keeping jobs on shore? And then also just like what kind of hires do you end up looking for? I think that, you know, you've done some non-traditional hiring uh, in the past and that's really cool. And I think it's worked out well, so we want to hear maybe some stories about like what's worked out well, what's not worked out well. Sure. Um, and then also, he's a recovering attorney. Yes, I am. So oh, he's the first yeah. lawyer we've had at the table. Yeah. We, and he can take a we joke. Like, so. I mean, yeah, we, we like the attorneys. Yeah, we, we don't like attorneys. the situations when we have to bring them in, but yeah, yeah, yeah. attorneys are fun. We rely on them. Employment attorneys are fun. And you're still a mediator. Yeah, I'm still a mediator. I, I still have my license. I just don't, yeah. don't practice and don't don't want to give it up. I, I do like the chance to help people from time to time. So if I get you know, that call, it's in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Mm. So tell us about your story and how you ended up at this table here today. <laughs> wow. Uh, 30 plus years as an unemployment attorney. And then uh, when uh, my, my business partner and I had a chance to create this business 13 years ago now, I jumped into it. I had a pretty strong understanding of the industry. Uh, Joe has a lot of technical background. Uh, software development. Software development, sure. And uh, um, saw the opportunity, saw what could be done. And we, we, have a, we both have a very, very strong belief that these jobs can and should be done here in the United States. And I, I don't want to get too preachy about this, but you know, we're sitting here in North Carolina where we've lost the textile industry uh, overseas uh, outsourcing. Uh, we've lost the furniture industry, by and large part, uh, heading overseas. And, and as, as bad and as tragic as that's all been, uh, the, the idea that software development and technology could hit offshore should scare everybody. Mm -hmm. Because it, it so impacts our lives, it so therefore impacts every aspect of what we do from our financial to our security to our medical uh, why in the world would we want to give up the ability to control that? Uh, and the problem is that, that it's a tough solution. It's about education, it's about training, and it's about you know, breaking down some traditional barriers that, that are in place to, to give more opportunities to people. Uh, it's not an easy solution, but it's extremely doable. Uh, I'm very proud of what, what we've put in place, and you know, we've been successful now for 13 years. I tell everyone that'll listen to me, uh, we've never, ever uh, written a line of code offshore, and we never will. We'll close the business before awesome. we do it. Yeah. Well, proud of our team, and uh, it can be done. Think about this, though. Like, my mom, she reads a lot of news, okay, so she fills me in on everything that's going down <laughs> in the world. But she was, I stopped over there this morning. She's like, can you believe that the United States is 22 in the world for reading and math? And what's so interesting is like right now, Leith HR Group is filling a ton of technical roles and like engineering roles mm -hmm. for some clients all across the United States. And it's very hard to find people who have graduated even from U.S.-based schools um, who don't need sponsorship. And it's like our 
any kids going to school for engineering, whether it's like chemical engineering and like, are any like kids here going to school because every other country is beating us out. It seems like right now. Sure. So how are you finding people here and are you doing sponsor? Are you having, are you finding that you have to do sponsorships for developers? You, and you know, we've, we've done sponsorships in the past. I, I love the opportunity for sponsorships because you know, you're giving someone a chance to live the American dream. Heck Those yeah. folks are trying to be here. That job's not going overseas. And uh, to, to your other point, you can jump on a search and type in, any city you want, uh, Java software developer, and it will become very obvious that uh, a large number of the, those folks uh, who are listed as qualified are not from here. Uh, and um, it shows the problem. But, uh, yeah. But a lot of companies are doing sponsorships, and to be honest, it doesn't cost that much. It's like twelve grand or something. It's a pain in the neck. Well, for smaller companies, it is. Yeah, it, it, it's it a is big a cost. pain in the neck. There's a lot mm -hmm. of, and, and we've done it. And because of my license, I've been the guy at the you know, facilitating the it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and uh, it, it is way harder than it needs to be or should be. And there's a lot of antiquated protections in, in place. I mean. Uh, Granted, you know, we don't want to set up a system where people are being exploited by dollars. I get that. But the, the complexity of getting it done when folks are trying to live the dream and be part of what this country is about, frankly, it's astounding. I mean, they're not taking jobs that other people are lining up for. We need more people like this out there. Yeah, and they're getting and educated ways to do here it. and that they're going to take that knowledge somewhere else. Yeah, unless we find a way to, find to, a way to, to get them, them in the job. system. Absolutely. Uh, so The other nice thing, Lisa, I don't, just yeah, to change it up a little bit, is it is a profession where people can self-teach. Mm. Uh, one, one of the stories the, that I like to talk about is uh, there's such a, a, a bias still, and it comes oftentimes through HR, of creating that job description that says, you know, four-year college required. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we've literally hired people who taught themselves based on the internet, based on banging away at keys in the basement, reading some books. Uh, people can get extremely talented and, and develop those talents by themselves. Uh, so I, I think a real key in this is to, to everyone needs to self-examine the process that they're going through as companies to, yeah. to find out, you know, are we doing this right? Yes, this is the way we hire other positions, but should we be doing it this way for the software positions? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting just in general, a conversation, and I've been doing it a lot. We write a lot of job descriptions with our fractional clients and just other clients that we work with. And there's been a lot of roles where I've gone through job descriptions and said like, well, explain to me why someone would need a four-year degree here. Because this is this is a job that feels like you learn by actually doing the job and having a couple other jobs before it. Mm -hmm. And the other jobs before it don't require the four-year degree. So why would we yeah. put it on this one, right? So it's just really challenging that because I think it's just been a like automatic. At a certain job level, you just kind of like put it in there. And I think we have to realize when you when you put that out on a job posting, it discourages especially minorities and women from applying. If they don't hit all of those check marks on a job description, women and minorities will not apply. Men historically will apply a little bit more, but it can be really discouraging. So I think it's something companies need to evaluate. They need to evaluate all the requirements for jobs because, to be honest, like, um, and I think we – we might have done an episode or we wrote something up about this, but um, even the years of experience mm -hmm. requirement is ridiculous in most cases. Yeah. It's like, come on, this is this is like a coordinator role or like a technician role that if you spent six weeks doing job shadowing or shoulder surfing, you could do the role. Um, so I think just we need to examine, like, especially if we're complaining that we can't find people or people don't want to work. No, people want to work, but your requirements are ridiculous for mm -hmm. the job that they're doing and probably for the price you're going to pay. So, um, sure, we've seen that too. Another problem with the job descriptions uh, are that sometimes there's a disconnect between HR and the actual manager that's going to be working for this person. Uh, we were involved with a, a major client in Pittsburgh five, six years ago where we kept producing candidates based on the job description that HR sent us. 
and they were rejecting these candidates. The manager kept the hiring manager is like, no, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. And eventually, we just had to step, you know, have an intervention and say, well, look, you know, the the qualifications here are, are amazing in terms of what you're asking for. And he looked at it and said, I don't want this. Mm. Uh, and and what had happened was the job description was created when the position was created, but the technology the company used changed over time. We didn't and, update it. Didn't update it. And the other thing that happens is I don't think the managers have the time or take the time necessarily to read those things. They, they trust that HR is putting it together for you know, legal uh, appropriateness and, and what have you, but they're not necessarily, they're so busy and overwhelmed it's not their typical job to read a job description and make certain it's what they want. When you get them to like focus and say what's important, oftentimes you get great feedback. So, oh yeah. Um, you, what I love about Amy is she spent half of her career in HR and half of her career being the business leader. And so, you know, talk to us about your perspective on what's HR's role versus what the hiring manager manager's role is in finding talent? I think the hiring manager is in charge of finding talent. Right. So, um, and this is something that's funny as, you know, we work with a lot of smaller businesses that don't always have an HR resource and now they do. And I feel like a lot of times I am still having to kind of teach companies how to utilize HR and they look to HR for sometimes the wrong things. And I'm like, let me be clear. Everything I do is supported and guided, and I'm your advisor, and I'm your consultant, right? Um, I'm not here to deliver all the news. I'm not here to coach all the employees. You know, people managers are responsible for the decision, so they've got to own all parts of that decision. HR helps. HR supports. We go out there. We go to the career fairs. We'll we write go your through the points. We'll walk, yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll help you with the communication plan, and we'll do all of it. But ultimately. I think the hiring managers are responsible for having an always recruiting mindset, for utilizing their network. You know, it's like if you're managing these kind of positions and you've been in these kind of positions before, you should have a network of people to also go talk to when you have an open position, right? Because I'm just going to post that job. I, that's not the same network that I have. My network is HR professionals, right? So that's where sometimes there can be a disconnect. Mm-hmm. But ultimately in my business and in the company I worked with years, it there was a strong partnership. It was a company that really utilized HR as a business partner. Um, but the business owned all of those kind of things. When it had to do with their people, they owned those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, the talent supply, another place where HR can help a lot is sort of monitoring all the parameters in the hiring process. Mm-hmm. How long does it take from when you make a request or a requisition to when you're seeing To fill the job, resumes? to hire. From, from there, mm-hmm. when are you making interview requests? From the interview, how long till it's scheduled? If you look at those breakdowns, you, know, you, you have to remember, in, in software development in particular, the average average candidate that's coming to you already has two offers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, you don't have the time to take a look and, and say, well, you know, we want to see four more resumes, give us a week. They're gone. Yeah. Uh, so by looking at those parameters and looking and saying, well, how long is it taking us to get from this stage to this stage to this age to when an offer is issued and, and then employment starts, Finding ways to narrow that window, realistically narrow that window, is a big, big deal uh, in, in trying to improve your chances for mm-hmm. success. A lot of companies are doing it the old way and saying, you know, they, you know, they sacrifice the excellent uh, in search of the perfect. Yeah. And uh, you can't do that these days. Well, I think going back to a little bit of what you said on companies sometimes are expecting the candidate to come with to them with all of the certifications, all of the experience, all of the training. I actually work with a client of ours right now that is in the IT technology business, and they do such an incredible job about finding the right cultural fit and the right people. And they're like, they're such a specialized in what they do in the cloud services realm. They're like, we're going to have to teach them this anyways and the way we do it because we're the best Mm -hmm. in the business in this one piece of technology. 
we'll, we'll certify that, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll get them the certification. We'll pay for them to go to right. the training with this specific, you know, certification they've invested in their own boot camp. And they, camp. yeah, they're like, let's find the right people, the right fits, it's, you know, that they want to be part of the company and the culture and all the things we're trying to do. And they've got to have a lot of skills, but we can teach them the rest. And, and that's a really big thing. Cause I, I don't always see that. And I think that makes them really yeah. unique. Yeah, we live off that yeah. mentality because, you know, our office, our development center in Pittsburgh, when we're in Pittsburgh, we're competing against every big guy you can mm-hmm. in software development. I mean, Google's there, Uber's there, it goes on and on. The only way we can distinguish ourselves is, is we have to invest in the people and we have to be prepared to train them over time. We're, we're really proud of the, the training system we have in place that allows for people who are superstars to come in, prove themselves quickly, and go right in, right into um, you know, a, a billing position with a client. Mm-hmm. Versus maybe somebody who's the right fit, clearly is going to be a great part of the team, but is going to need you know, two or three months to get mm-hmm. up to speed. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's you know, especially when you're smaller, you can't really afford to have that toxic personality show up. Right. They may test off the charts and and every, everything you do, but they they could destroy your your culture, mm-hmm. the attitude, and do a lot more damage, regardless of how you know, how well they do in the test. Right. So, uh, the culture fit is so important, more particularly, I think, more so when you're smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you know, sometimes when when you have a you know, hundred people in a room, you can hide one or two of those folks, but. Uh, if there's only yeah. a dozen folks there, yeah. can't afford it. I'm curious. This is changing directions a little mm-hmm. bit, Wayne. But I'm really curious on how being an employment attorney like helps you now in your day to day management of people, <laughs> and how often are you kind of pulling on all of those things in the way you kind of coach and deliver feedback? I, I try and put the employer uh, mentality first, uh, and turn off the lawyer brain mm-hmm. because uh, unfortunately and I don't want that to come out wrong but too often attorneys look for problems mm. uh, when you know, what we focus on is looking for solutions so instead of like trying to find you know the, the, the potential problem you know bring folks in train them make certain you, you're, you're addressing things in advance and don't be as worried about uh, about some of the the smaller, you know, one in a thousand problems. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think just constantly reminding myself uh, that you know there's a way to get get to the solution here. There's a way to solve the problem. That that is so important mm-hmm. um, uh, that that you won't be stopped. That you're going to be in some sort of relentless pursuit to solve the problem. Uh, that helps quite a bit. Yeah. You've That's now got great. your team spread across two offices. So you've been in Wilmington, North Carolina for a while, and then the Altoona, and then you've got some folks in Pittsburgh. Correct. So three offices, right? Mm-hmm. Now Dallas as well, too. And Dallas, so four offices. Oh, wow. So how are you staying um, like in tune with what your employees are thinking, any feedback that they have, um, and making sure that they're happy? Because it is um, really hard to find great developers right now. And, you know, it just sucks when you lose one and you got to replace them. So, like, how are you making sure that you retain them? So, obviously, communication is so important. Um, with respect to what we focus on, it's making certain they're staying in touch with all of us all the time. Uh, that they, they feel they have access to us, they can bring problems to us. Um, so... We, we have regular one-on-ones, and you know, we are, and not to sound like a commercial, we're, we're using WorkTalk. Uh, I think it's really important in our industry because there is still a mentality with, with some developers where they're, you know, some of them are afraid to talk to people. Mm-hmm. To work with us, you really have to have pretty strong communication background, so we don't have too many heads-down folks uh, but when you have those heads down folks, they're much more comfortable sort of typing out on a laptop or you know, on, a, on a device telling you what their problems are. So you have to have as many tools in the toolbox to make certain that that line of communication is constantly open. We also try and set up a m- different levels for the communication so everybody's going to have a, 
a mentor developer, a team lead, and then direct like a technical mentor, mm. technical mentor, uh, team lead, um, and then access to management, whether it's through through Joe, through myself, or or through our uh, operations manager. Uh, so multiple levels at multiple uh, sort of professional mm-hmm. skill sets. What do the technical mentorships typically look like? Is there like a set time frame that people are paired up or they is it based on like a specific project or a technical deficiency or opportunity for an employee? Like how do you work those technical mentorships? Sure. We try and distinguish it in, in two different ways. We see sort of a professional development mentorship. So when, when somebody comes in to work with us, they're, they're assigned to a technical team. It's not necessarily a project, but it's the person you rely on and the group you rely on to polish your skills, to get better, to get feedback, to do some in-house stand-ups, to learn about presentation skills. That isn't tied to any client, but that's time we devote uh, through those teams for the professional sort of mentorship. Mm -hmm. Then when you're assigned to a client-based team, then that's more of a collaborative uh, exercise where you're kicking ideas back and forth, reviewing each other's specific code for that client uh, to you know, to make certain the client's needs are being met, that it's going to work right, that it that it ultimately gets to the place it needs to be. So uh, there's there's two levels uh, that we try and give them. Um, one more sort of educational, and one one sort of uh, addressing the specific needs of any given project. I was just thinking about how uh, I always kind of liken the guest situation to what what Leith HR Group does. Like, we're billable HR consultants, right? Mm-hmm. You have billable developers. So how do you, like, make sure that you avoid co-employment HR nightmares? Because sometimes your developers go on site, right? And they're employees of PS Solutions, Um now, in your case, you're like a you're a consultant yourself. You're a 1099 person. So we got a whole uh, crazy yeah. HR nightmare going down. It's <laughs> like a three way HR nightmare. <laughs> but like, what do you, do you? I mean, as an attorney too, like, what do, do you think about co employment issues? Or well, the way we've structured things for the most part anymore, everybody's our employee. You know, anyone working for we very very rarely rarely do 1099s. Uh, all of our developers are our employees, full-time employees with benefits. In terms of the ones that are on site, um, that becomes rarer and rarer. But even then, there are employees working there. So the co-employment issues tend to be toward toward the client. And, and even then, we're very careful and, and trying to be very specific in the contracts as to what our responsibilities are. And then fulfilling the responsibilities and making certain... We're meeting with them regularly to see their, their performances, to give them feedback and evaluation. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, just maintaining regular communication so they know who their you know technical boss actually is. Right, is super important on that front. Um, did you ever have any co-employment issues? No, I mean, I have one client now that we that I work with that is heavy on the contractor base and it, it's a constant conversation, right? Like when we hire new people and we're adding a new role, it's like, should this be an employee role? Should this be a contractor role? Like what does that look like? And so being really careful about like how we set that up to begin with. Um, but it's a but it's a similar, you know, Kind of thing. It Nordstrom, no. I mean, yeah, not not really. We we had a decent amount of things that would happen from a strategy standpoint where we would hire, you know, people like us, right, to come in and execute something. But it was very much known. You know, those were consultants, and there was certainly a level of understanding of what was expected when they were inside our business and adhering to our guidelines of just code of conduct, workplace, you know, kind of things. But at the same time, they were always, those were very professional, high-level consultants coming in to do specific project work for us. But they would sometimes be with us for a year or two while executing, you know, a complete technology change in the way we we scheduled in our stores, right? Mm -hmm. And they had to train every store. So, I mean, that was a 24-month project 
Um, and it felt like they were our employees, but but we all kind of knew they weren't. But no issues that I remember kind of running into from like, it. St- it might be because just there's not a lot of people who are unemployed right now. So <laughs> using staffing agencies really isn't a common occurrence right now. Mm-hmm. It used to be like temp to perm was all the rage, even just like five years ago. Yeah. Um, and now it's kind of like, well, there's no one even available for temp. Like, why would I take a temp job if I could go? permanent job right now Um, but when staff and it will become a thing again right temp agencies and staffing agencies will will return Um, and when they do it just is really important to make sure that you're delineating like who is the employer of record because Mm -hmm. if you're hiring people from a deco or labor finders or whatever um, you know and somebody's being treated like an employee and coming to all the employee events and going to all the town halls and getting the company emails and um, you know, being treated truly like an employee, they just have a different colored badge. Mm-hmm. Um, they could be, you know, they could be eligible for, you know, filing a complaint mm-hmm. and um, collecting back benefits and wages and all that good yeah. stuff. So just uh, the communication is super, super important. Just like if you have your employees on site somewhere else, just make sure for God's sake that you're talking to them more than they're talking to like their on site mm-hmm. kind of contact at the client. Yeah, we made a, a decision to move away from sort of any sort of staffing model toward a solutions-based model. First of all, we we enjoyed having our people on our team, and and we we didn't want to lose them. And then the other thing that came about was with the shortage, it didn't make any sense to work like crazy to find real talent and then have them you know disappear. Get scooped up, right? Right. So. Uh, I think one of the smartest moves we've made is is to to be entirely solutions focused to, to the extent we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And um, so, if people need extra horsepower, and and right now, let's face it, every single business it doesn't know it doesn't matter what industry you're in, writing co- you're writing code somewhere in your business. Sure. It doesn't matter if it's retail or hospitality or construction or you are a software development company. Like getting that extra horsepower it doesn't matter how small the project is. PS Solutions is going to help you pick up the slack. Yeah, our way of doing that now is to recommend you know, carving out a project. Yeah. And sort of it's a life raft to buy time. If you want your own people, certainly we understand that. It's hard for us to argue because we want our own people. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the the solution we can put for them is carve out the project, let us handle that project while that buys you time to take the pressure off your people. Because if you're not doing that with this shortage, it can fall apart very quickly. If uh, one or two people leave a 10-person team and you can't replace them, then you've got eight people doing the job of ten, and they become a lot less happy. And then that eight. Or you're not delivering on your technology roadmap, sure. right? So you're falling behind. Maybe you get investors that are becoming unhappy. Your employees are getting burned out because you're understaffed. So it's a good solution. Yeah. So it's a matter of sort of providing that temporary gap to allow people to breathe, take the time, find the find the folks they need, and, and put them on board. Um. I am obsessed with thinking about how do we get the next generation of folks interested in technology and specifically in software development now that I'm, you know, on full time with Vanica. And I know you are, too. Yes. So what are you doing? Like, what do you think the future of pipelining software developers looks like? It might not be that four year degree path, but like what's your vision of and how's Wayne and PS Solutions contributing to getting that next generation interested in development? Sure. As I mentioned earlier, we look at non-traditional trainings, and we you know, we have great people that have two-year degrees or boot camp degrees or self-taught. You have to be open to, to listen to those folks. But it's a matter of increasing the number of people going into the top of the funnel and sort of demystifying what these jobs are. There's a lot of intimidation that goes on trying to understand that there's some sort of secret magic mm-hmm. uh, when, when really it's you know some math, some logic, and some problem-solving skills. And one of the things we realized, uh, both Joe and I have daughters that uh, went down the path of uh, computer science in college. And uh, I remember Stephanie telling me in a senior class, that she had 53 people in the class and she was one of only three women. Mm-hmm. And wow. Yeah, it's like there, it's less than 20% still of women. And, and surprisingly, North Carolina yeah. does way better hmm. than the That's national great. average. I think yeah. I saw the other day, 
they used to be one and now they're two mm-hmm. in the nation in terms of percentage of women in STEM. Who's one? Uh, I, truthfully, I don't even know who one is. I, I, I used to know that North Carolina was one at like 25% when the national average is 17. Mm-hmm. Okay. I saw the other day they were listed as two, and I think the number was closer to 29%. So it's getting there. It's getting corrected, but there's still a long way to go. But in observing that this phenomenon that both you know, Maria and Morelli and uh, Steph uh, had, had seen in school, you know, we started studying the problem and trying to learn about it. Uh, we created a, a foundation uh, to design to sort of encourage you know, girls to look at these issues. It's amazing to me that when you look at math and science scores uh, in, in high school, uh, women are outperforming men all mm-hmm. the time. And then it's sort of, they disappear then when they go into those STEM fields. Uh, I think there's so many factors that affect that. Right. But, it, but it's a matter of sort of demystifying, in my view, mm-hmm. you know, what, this, what this is. I'm old enough, you two aren't. To remember the, the mystery of, That's of nice. <laughs> I was like, remember, I was a politician too. You know? yeah, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But um, it, where, if there was a female doctor, it was somebody you like pointed at and whispered about how strange it was, uh, and that was 25 years ago. And by and large, that's gone. Mm-hmm. That stigma disappeared, and that just needs to happen throughout the STEM fields to to, to help there. Um, the same issues, I think the de- demystification is even bigger with minorities. There's this strange fear about it that, that, that we have not as an industry done a very good job of explaining uh, and demystifying uh, to, to show this is actually a wealth of opportunity that it's uh, certainly a skill, but it is not a rare skill. It's just one that needs developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so giving those opportunities and that early exposure to show uh, that, hey, this is an opportunity out there, uh, I think is crucial and we need to do more of it. Uh, yeah. So our you got to get in front of, well, you got to get in front of like the kids. You got to meet them where they are. Um, a cool program that the Wilmington Chamber of Commerce is doing with New Hanover County Schools is a pilot program with 47th graders. They invited the parents and these seventh graders that applied and were selected for this pilot program um, to just be exposed to different jobs um, in the community where we record this podcast. Um, and it's pretty cool. And And the goal is over the next couple of years to take all seventh graders through this program. Um, and so they can be e- exposed to software development, um, to banking, to manufacturing, to these other jobs that maybe like their parents never talk to them about, right? Because their parents re- really don't know like what you do as a software developer. They just assume you have to have a four-year degree and no one's told them any different. So, um, you know, getting in front of kids when they're in middle school and things are starting to pique their interest and they're starting to realize, hey, I am pretty good at math. Um, or I am really great at English and writing and, you know, creative writing. And that's, that's where I'd like to go. What could I do with that? Um, and no one's ever talked to them about getting into communications or mm-hmm. marketing or graphic design or whatever. So, um, you know, your foundation's really cool, but like we definitely got have to do a better job of getting in front of kids and their parents so that they're talking about it at home and encouraging them to go pursue something that seems foreign, like in the household. So, yeah, let me tell a quick story about that. Yeah. Uh, when when we had the foundation started uh, in, back in 2012, we worked with Penn State Altoona, and uh, they have summer camps for for one, and one of them is coding. Uh, they had three sections of that coding camp uh, the prior year, with uh, I believe it was 15 kids in each camp, and they had one girl <laughs> out of those 45 kids. We went to them with our foundation, said, "Give us one section." Say it's going to be the girls' camp. And we will write the scholarships for everyone to attend that camp. Uh, let's see how it goes. It filled up right away. Awesome. Fifteen girls in and great participation. Do you there think were, it made them feel more safe by having their own section dedicated to girls only? Like, why didn't they sign up in the first place? What's the psychology uh, there? <laughs> I. I I think that that's exactly probably what it is. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot to be said. I mean, I I'm someone who you know 
went to an all girls high school and, you know, really believed in that kind of education. And it, it was a really positive thing, you know, in the grades, the all boys school and the all girls school. I mean, we were well surpassing some of the public schools were all mixed together. And yeah, you learn, you have a little bit more safety and you can speak up. And, you know, they say the average age of like when girls kind of become quiet and fade into the background is like nine or 10 years old, right? So of course, like that, that, that psychology just continues, you know, throughout life. So I'm sure that's a big part of I mean, as a girl dad, like what, what did you, how did your girls do? Like being three out of, you know, 50 computer science <laughs> students. Ste I mean. Steph did just, just fine. Actually, she became <laughs> a major advocate uh, for the solution and, and still gets a lot of credit uh, from Case Western, where she went to college, uh, to inc about increasing the number of women going into the STEM fields there. So she turned it into advocacy. Mm -hmm. It's a little rare, but um, did, did quite well uh, in dealing with that. Observing this on a number of occasions when we've seen it happen, um, there is an intimidation factor, but I don't want intimidation interpreted wrongly. It's not like it's not like somebody is engaged. Right, right. It's not direct from an individual. It's more the environment. It, yeah, it's like, the way somebody acts and the way somebody reacts to that. Mm -hmm. If you get... Uh, I've seen situations where there was uh, with a bunch of uh, fifth graders where there was one boy put on a team. He was very smart and had offer had things to say. And when he would speak up and take over, you could feel the rest of that group just sort of look at him and, and follow. So he wasn't doing anything inappropriate. He mm -hmm. wasn't doing anything mm -hmm. other than being himself. But it was intimidating to everybody else watching this guy perform. Hmm. Uh, so, so it wasn't. You hear intimidation sometimes. That's misunderstood. Sometimes people are thinking you're you're right, bullying. Right. There, mm -hmm. There's not necessarily any of that. But I think it's recognizing that possibly can be happening, and you know, intervening, creating opportunities for you know, the, the girls to shine under that environment. Especially in the formative mm -hmm. years, like Correct. middle school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I just even think about Ellie, my seven-year-old. I forced her to go to golf camp a couple times this summer. <laughs> she was like, golf? Um, but it was the only camp that was open. And first, he did a great job. But the first week that she went, it was co-ed. And she said she had a little bit, you know, she had some fun or whatever. And then the second week that she went, it was girls' golf camp. And she was jazzed every day. It was almost like she felt like she could get out of her shell and try, like really try to hit that ball and wasn't embarrassed. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess maybe like some of the boys had been playing longer or something and the girls were just kind of like trying it for the first time at First Tee Golf Camp. Um, so it is interesting, just the psychology. And there's seven. And I noticed a difference yeah. between the week she went to co-ed and the week she went to girls golf camp. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely think, you know, uh, Wayne and I are going to embark on this new tech collaborative in this community um, to try to fill the top of the funnel um, with with young people that can become great hires down the line mm -hmm. um, for lots of Wilmington tech companies, including PS Solutions and Vanica. But um, that may be something that we want to think about too, is really trying to give opportunities to like specific groups of kids that just have historically been underrepresented, especially in this field. Mm -hmm. And recognizing it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a group of girls together. I mean, it's not any way trying to segregate them or discriminate either against them or for them. It's just recognizing that at certain stages in life, development takes place in, in, in different manners and at different times than, than between boys and girls. And mm -hmm. between how, people learn differently. I think we all recognize that these days, but they also you know, learn differently depending on where they are in life recognize that and give them the opportunity to maximize that chance yeah. to learn. Mm -hmm. well, I think That's when you remove better. some of the like also social dynamics and the pressure that comes from that, mm -hmm. then they can really focus on that learning, right? Yeah. It's really about building the skills in that because they don't have to think about the rest of it and the dynamics between genders. Yeah. More, more girls for, yeah. what's the name of your foundation? 
Girls Who Code? No, it's PS Solutions Foundation. Oh, okay. It's not fancy. Okay. <laughs> there's a we Girls Who get... Code. Yeah, there's that all kinds of places, right? Um, you ready to have some fun? I sure why not. Okay. <laughs> the do we best... have a good, like, former employment attorney one I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, we definitely do. So we get um, audience write-ins, which is really the best part about this. And so we, as HR experts, we talk through different scenarios, and then we love to get um, – you happen to be an HR expert, too, so this is going to be good. We're going to put you on the spot and make you answer first. You didn't um, ask what my hourly rate was. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got some plastic sunglasses <laughs> and a koozie for yeah, you, yeah. a slim can koozie, just for you, Wayne. Vanica ping pong balls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> some, I will throw you some Vanica ping pong balls. Um, okay. So the first one is from, somebody wrote in from Raleigh and they say, I have 84 hours of sick pay on top of my PTO and holiday hours. I don't have the PTO time yet. I have to wait until month four. So that's kind of interesting. They get their sick pay first. Um, these hours do not roll over into next year. I would love to use my full benefits while I have them. Is it okay to use sick hours when I'm not actually sick as a PTO day? <laughs> Wayne's laughing. There's no way I'm going to be sick for two weeks this year. What do you guys think? I'll let Wayne defer first. There's so many things in there. Well, this, this is why I don't. Do this anymore. <laughs> uh, He's like, I hate this. Oh, I, I, I do. Well, first of all, my, my question is uh, sick days often rolled into PTO as an right. additional. So that's what I was That thinking. doesn't make an awful lot of sense to me. I can't think of too many companies that distinguish between sick days and PTO. So that's very unusual. For it's usually sick well, and vacation. Well, there are certain or, states that require it, right? North Carolina is not one of them. Right. So. Make it all the same. Yeah, just put it in a bucket. And you get sick days immediately. That's weird. But then you got to wait four months for PTO. But then you expect people to not take the sick days. Yeah. <laughs> you're asking people to lie. Yeah, I think you're just setting yourself up. Yeah. So to me, the, I have a tough time relating to the question. Uh, clearly, you don't commit fraud. You don't make up a sickness. I mean, that, that gets you into trouble. Uh, so I'm... Um, but sometimes we get, I mean, I get asked the like, okay, so what qualifies as a sick day? Do I have to be sick? Can I take that to take a doctor's appointment, right? Like, can mental I use a sick day to take a mental health day? I mean, these are things that are now starting to come up more and more. And I had the whole Northeast when I was a regional HR director for Nordstrom. So I had some states that required us to have sick days in addition to the PTO. Maryland was one of those states, mm -hmm. right? And um, so, you know, that was just something that was, that, you know, states were doing because there's a lot of companies out there that weren't giving PTO to an hourly and we're a high hourly population. So um, we had some of those. I mean, it was minimal though. So I think what I always say is like, if you're going to do that and you're going to build in some sick days as a company, okay, maybe not be the first thing I advise, but of course there are some states that require it. It, you know, it, make it five. I don't know why you'd have 84 hours of sick time. That seems like a lot that yeah. you could be throwing those into PTO time. Um, and like, is the company trying to trick their employees? Like, oh, I'm going to give them a bunch of sick time and then they're going to lie to me and then I'm going to fire them. Like, I don't, it, it just it seems weird. It sounds like a question where there's some miscommunication. Mm -hmm. So probably encouraging the person to yeah. revisit that with the employer. Yeah, yeah, like go talk to their supervisor. If you have an HR person or the owner of the company, go talk to them and be like, look, I know I don't get my, you know, after 90 days, I start to get some of my PTO. I'd love to go to my grandma's birthday next Friday. Yeah. I I really don't want to take a mental health day. Um, I, I be think honest. it's the way we talk, uh, communicate, and signal sick days too, and having people understand it's it's not necessarily an additional benefit, you know, right? Like it's it's not meant to be there as PTO time. It's meant to be there so that you can be sick and you're not penalized it's by losing a day policy. of pay. So no, that doesn't roll over, right? It's one of those, if you need it, it's there for you to utilize it. But if you don't need it and you're not sick for 10 days, then no, it's not an additional, it's right? Like it's like bereavement. So I think it's the way- Or jury it's duty. Acts, exactly. It's That's just a good way like to think about it. It's just like jury duty. So it's the way we educate. I was dealing with this with I'm not going to lie that my grandma died. That the, the employee was leaving the company and we paid out PTO and they were challenging us on paying out their sick days. I'm like, that's not what sick days are. They're there and they're here for when you're here. If you need them, 
so that you still earn your regular pay because yeah. we don't want to penalize you for being sick. But it's not an additional, right? So yeah. that's what I, I think it's like companies just need to educate yeah. on what some of those things are. It's not an added benefit. It, it's there to make sure that you're getting your compensation and that you can actually call in sick if you're sick and not feel. Because we have a lot of employees that come in sick because they can't afford to not yeah. get paid, right? So so some of it is just, I think, the way it's communicated. And, and I think a lot of what, what you're talking about there is, is how PTO came to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that companies were tired of you know, trying to make you prove you had a migraine or make you mm-hmm. prove yeah. you had a cold. Or, or that your kid was sick. Or that somebody came in and infected the whole department right. because they were forced against it. So th- there had to be a way to sort of you know, a- allow people some, some free mm-hmm. means of, mm-hmm. of getting off work when they should and can without having to double check and worry about all that by just building it in. Right. So I think that, and that's why it's taken off so well. So, uh, don't lie. So go don't talk lie. to your supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> Ask some questions. Yeah. Hopefully they'll be human and, and say, you know what? This is kind of yeah. ridiculous. We should change our policy. And if you need help rewriting yeah. the policy, and call Leith HR. understand Leith that HR. you don't have 12 sick days so that you can just like go do what, have extra it's days off, right? It's not extra days off. That's not what it is. Yeah. All right. We mentioned bereavement. So this uh, next question is about bereavement. So this person recently lost a parent and the employer is only giving four days of time to handle everything. I need to put her house up for sale and work out all the arrangements and also grieve. I have a few days of PTO, which I'm planning to use. What if it takes me two or three weeks? I have a conversation with my manager and let her know the situation. She's only giving me four days to grieve. Do you have any advice? Sorry for your loss, first of all. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, I've dealt with, with this myself. Um, part of what bereavement is is to, to try and buy some time for a mental adjustment on a very traumatic event in all of our lives uh, and recognizing that. It's not necessarily designed to allow for all of the estate issues that, that he or she is mentioning uh, uh, to take place. There, there are ways of dealing with that. So recognize that I think first bereavement is sort of mental health days. Um, and then trying to encourage the employer to you know, you know, provide some additional time if that is in fact necessary. Mm-hmm. Even if it's unpaid, right? Correct. Like, can I have a leave of absence? I got to take two weeks to do all this stuff. I'd rather just knock it out so I can be back to work at 100%. I got to take mm-hmm. this two weeks. And that's why all these are hard. I mean, some, some people are going to deal with, deal with it better right. than others. Some, uh, some you know, four days is too much. Yeah, I want to get yeah, back they to work need and get my two days, up. or they need that four days to prepare for a funeral that's actually not going to happen for four months, yeah. right? Maybe it's overseas. I had a lot of that in our business, right? People who couldn't get home right away. Um, yeah, I think with this one, what's hard is while I have empathy for her and yeah. needing that time and understand that, yes, there are a lot of preparations that have to happen and the time to grieve, absolutely. But there is also a business you're talking about. And there's other employees as well. And it's hard. If you're a small business, I think maybe you've got some different flexibilities on policy. But like kind of the bigger you get, you're like, gosh, you know, you have thousands of employees now. And and they're all going to have probably something like this that happens through the course of a year. And there does need to be some kind of consistency in the way we uphold policies and what we give to one and give to another. And so there, there's just a lot there to kind of think through. Um, because I don't know, as someone who like ran the business, I probably couldn't have given everyone, a, I, you know, I had 500 employees at one point in a store and I probably couldn't have given everyone who suffered a loss three weeks off of work and still been able to run that business efficiently. And, and the flip side of that though, is even the small business. Right. Limited resources. Yeah. So they can't yeah. Someone to be out that long as well. So, right. Uh, 
It's really dependent on business conditions and like what's going on with the business. How busy are you? Maybe it's a lull time and I I can allow you to take some time away unpaid. I can't afford to pay you that entire time, but I can allow you to you know, we'll, we'll agree on some flexibility. And if you want to work half days or part-time, maybe I could do that for three weeks while you handle some of the... I think the message that we always give, you know, and we would say as HR is if you can work with someone, try your best to do that, right? And try, try to have some understanding and have a little bit of flexibility if you are able to do that, right? But also this person needs to understand, well, this is a business and It's not kind of a humanitarian effort. And although you're going through something awful, um, the fact that they're offering some bereavement time is generous. Um, So, you know, be appreciative, but also just maybe let your supervisor know that you're willing to take some unpaid time if she's willing to give it. And maybe it's fresh and new. And as you kind of have a little bit of time, you'll think through other solutions. You know, what can you do on days off and in the after hours? Yeah, yeah. Mm Good. All right. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> you want to come We're back? Solving <laughs> problems. <laughs> Giving advice. Giving advice. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for being here. It's been fun. Yeah. 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 Awesome. HR nightmares. Avoiding them. Turning them into daydreams. So that's what we try to do. Yeah. Well, you can find us on YouTube at HR Nightmares. Make sure to click that bell or that follow button so you're notified as new episodes air. And then find us over on Instagram at Leith HR. You can find us on TikTok, apparently. Oh, my gosh. At Gabby Leith is HR. There's um, one post with 15,000 likes yeah, and so 400 some comments on it. Go it's like amazing. us, follow us, uh, connect with all of us on LinkedIn, and then... Yeah, Wayne, do you want to plug your stuff? Do you guys want to plug Work Talk a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, Go for it. Talk about it. (laughs) I'll do PS Solutions. Yeah. PSSolutions.net is uh, a website we're really proud of. In fact, Gabby worked with us uh, as we were redesigning and and rebuilding that and and did a wonderful job. Uh, Savannah, who's who's running it now, is is killing it with, with that. Our social media, we stay away from uh, TikTok for some reason. <laughs> Although after I'm hearing all this, maybe next week, yeah. uh, our focus is on LinkedIn Great. Uh, and, uh, and Facebook. So. Good. All right, find yeah. PS Solutions. And then, of course, there's Work Talk, which is the um, – it's kind of like a Leith HR group technology. Um, big evangelists of employee check-ins and making sure that your supervisors are communicating with their employees more frequently than than most people are, are doing. Most of us just don't talk to our folks as often as we need to. Um, and so go check out Work Talk. We're doing a 30-day free trial, worktalk.com, W-O-R-K-T-O-K.com. Um, thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Oh. All right. Oh, yeah.